cool. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. We have about a hundred, little over 140 people that are registered. I always look at that and I say, well, we have like 30 to 40 people show up live. And then we'll also have, oh my gosh, we usually double, almost double the attendance by doing, we have the recorded podcast and we also have this webinar recorded. So this is very cool. Carter is our master of ceremonies hiding behind our Committed to Change logo. I'm Sarah Cooperman, I'm the CEO of SCW Fitness Education. What I'd like you to do is move your mouse and go to the bottom of the screen. Go to the left button, it's the chat box. Please click on it, put your first name, where you're from. We'd love to know where you're coming from, um, from around the country. That always is always intriguing to us. And I want you to know that I watched the chat box. So if you guys, you spent your valuable time and are joining us tonight, if you would like, type your questions in, type your comments in, and we'll address them. We'd love to hear from you. We've got some great people with us today. I, we are going to be talking about time-optimized workouts to bust your busy schedule. Um, and we're going to be talking a lot about HIIT workouts and micro-workouts, body weight exercises to, to help our clients overcome time constraints and also keep them committed to their New Year's resolutions. I think that's very important. We have Dr. Aaron, and I hate the last name. Do it for me. Do it for uh, me. Slotson. Thank you. Okay. Um, he's the Director of Exercise Science and an Assistant uh, Professor at the Crown College in Minnesota. In this role, he teaches courses on traditional on-campus exercise science, as well as being the program director for the online Masters of Science in Exercise Science and Sports Performance. He's also very actively involved with ACSM and currently serves on the Exercise Physiologist Committee and also served on the Conference Committee for the ICAA, the International Council on Active Age. Um, and we have Greg Johnson with us. He's a fitness studio owner. He's got 20 years experience in health and exercise. He holds a bachelor's of science degree in fitness and rehab with minors in health and wellness. He also was a, uh, has a master's of kinesiology with a concentration in performance enhancement and injury prevention. And then we have Dr. Jonathan Mike. And he ser currently serves on, in the Exercise Science and Sports Performance Program at the Grand Canyon University in Phoenix. He's worked as a strength and conditioning coach. He's presented at dozens of online fitness and strength consumer outlets. He also has done like 85 different talks at different conventions all over the world. Um, he's written 12 or 13 book chapters. The poor guy... Uh, doesn't have any experience in the industry. Um, so we've got these amazing educators that both have practical experience and also have theoretical training and train others. So this is kind of exciting. Um, we, I've got Peggy from Cleveland. I don't know where Helen's from or Jackie or Maria or Nan or, um, or Dawn, but I'm so glad you guys have joined us. Um, and again, type your questions in. Do you have them? We're going to start with a question that Aaron, I'm shooting this at you, sir. Um, how can we effectively design and implement HIT workouts, high intensity interval training workouts, for our clients to achieve 
significant results in a minimal amount of time? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'm going to approach it a little bit from the cardiorespiratory standpoint. I'll turn it over to uh, some of the other guests as far as the resistance training aspect goes. But the first thing I always think about when I think about high-intensity interval training is uh, we often think of it as this really high all-out sprinting effort followed by a rest period of some sort. And, and that work-to-rest ratio tends to vary depending on what you want to accomplish. But the one thing I always talk about, especially – um, a lot of my previous life was working with older adults prior to being in education. And it, it doesn't, depending upon the level of the individual that you're working with, it doesn't have to be these all out sprints um, followed by a rest period. For some people, you could start out with higher intensity walking, whether that be walking at a higher speed or walking at a higher incline on the treadmill, and still start to see some of the same types of benefits from high intensity interval training, which we know is uh, generally speaking considerably less time doing the exercise um, with the si similar or same results to what we would call modern intensity continuous training. So one of the big aspects for me is that I think about is kind of meeting that client where they are and still being able to experience some of the same benefits of high intensity interval training. Like I said, could be even in a walking standpoint, it does not have to be um, these all out sprints, so. All right, very cool. And um, John, I was going to ask you, Dr. Mike, if could you give us a little summary of what HIT training actually is? Because I think Aaron brought up some really good points. It's cardiovascular training, it's strength training, it's recovery. How do we balance this? How do we measure it? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of, there's a wide variety of actual like physiological adaptations like with HIT. And I think because over the last, you know, probably three or four years, it's actually been largely misinterpreted. And I think people are very misguided on what HIT really is. Most people think HIT is just getting your heart rate up, right? Or just some type of higher exercise intensity. And while that's true in terms of exercise intensity, it, it, it should be better defined as exercise intensity around somewhere between like 80 to 90 plus percent of like your VO2 max, right? Whereas like zone three or um, zone four, you know, um, you know, cardiovascular intensity. Um, and it could be like zone two, for example, you know, what's 50 to 60, maybe set upwards of 70% of, you know, um, percent heart rate. But, you know, it's been largely misinterpreted. And people think just doing some burpees and doing some mountain climbers you know, for 30 seconds and then going to the next exercise and doing something for 30 seconds is constituted as hit. Like it's actually more specific in terms of training guidelines. And yeah, Aaron's correct. I mean, you can't really separate, totally separate the aerobic and the anaerobic types of adaptations. Like you do get like aerobic adaptations. You do get not only increases in blood flow and mitochondrial capillary density, but you also get some of the anaerobic, you know, benefits as well, because you're training all energy systems, um, you know, with phosphagen, gly glycolytic, you know, mitochondrial respiration. Um, and even if even doing normal like resistance training and there's no hit, like you still use all energy systems. So, so it's highly dependent on intensity and really duration. So I think it's hit's been like very misguided and misunderstood by not only the general public, but a lot of these silly influencers that you see online that are just doing some random workouts that are not very structured and just calling it hit just so they can get views and clicks and perhaps, you know, sell you stuff that doesn't really work. So again, there's different physiological benefits and adaptations. Um, so that's kind of how I, I you know, my, my overall and, answer. 
And I love that you brought up, you know, the Instagram people. Um, I, I just was on a talk show, uh, the Talks and Takes talk show, which is a great talk show. And I actually highlighted the Planet Fitness new ad that features Megan the Stallion on it, which is awesome. And it's like 30 seconds, but it's really cool. And she she's calling out FitzPro Fakes, F-I-T-S-P-R-O, which is that the Fitspiration people, you know, the people that are gorgeous bodies that are inspiring you to do these hip workouts. And it's like, who are they? Are they certified? Are they trained? And what are they bringing to the table? So what are some, I'm going to ask you, Greg, what are some creative and effective micro workouts that we can incorporate into our client sessions, regardless of location or equipment availability? Yeah, I think when I, when I talk with my clients, that's actually one of the conversations I have with them is if you're not in the gym, what do you have available to you? And like, some people have nothing. So we got to work on body weight. So I kind of agree with what Aaron said. Uh, it depends on who you're working with. I think uh, I have a, a large demographic of people that come into the gym and not everyone can actually do high intensities or for some people uh, just walking up the hill in their, in their neighborhood would be a higher intensity. So I really kind of talk to people, make sure I know what they have available to them. It could be resistance training or it could be a hill at the local park and we'll find out, okay, what do you have available to you? What are you willing to do and how much time do you have? And that's kind of how we'll start designing the program. Oh, that's great. And um, having a goal in mind um, obviously provides that motivation. And sometimes it's, you know, attending a, a son's wedding. Uh, sometimes it's getting ready for your own weddings. Sometimes it's, I'm going to go on a hike or I'm going to go on a vacation, but meeting with them where they're at is so important. Um, uh, John, what do you think about that? What are some creative and effective micro workouts that you've seen be successful? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a whole host of them and actually a, a wide variety. I mean, I don't think there's a single um, type of workout that's obviously good for everybody, but if you're, if you, if you own a gym or if you work on the separate private training model, and you incorporate uh, intervals, whether it's just you're working with one person at a time or even two, three people at a time, everyone's going to have different capabilities and abilities and, and different training experiences. So one of the more challenging parts is to you, the coach and the trainer, is to choose and select exercises that, yeah, they're they're standard and traditional exercises, but you know that that the people in your group or that class can do, the vast majority of them, they can actually like perform. Um, and I think we were talking about this right before the show. I think that one of the biggest limitations, especially with like the orange theory, the orange theory types of uh, business models or classes and just HIC training classes in general, is that they they tend to kind of heavily push exercises that are a little bit that are too advanced that the vast majority of people in those classes really should not be doing. Most people can't do you know, renegade rows or like Turkish get-ups, you know, and some of these other high, highly skilled or highly technical exercises that they need to be at a beginning level for, right? So there's a there's a progression um, and even regression or modifications that, that, you know, people can really make. So it's up to the coach and trainer. I mean, there's bands, there's body weights, there's, you know, sliders, there's kettlebells. Um, I mean, there's sleds, there's battle ropes. I mean, dumbbells, like there's all kinds of equipment that people can use. And it's important that, okay, if somebody can't do um, an exercise with a dumbbell that you maybe you prescribed, 
it's best to give them some type of other alternative or solution that they that they can do, right? You know, either substitute out for the next program or they can't do this and they can just have an alternative like ready to go, right? So, you know, you need to structure the program, these micro workouts that you feel that the vast majority of people can do. And that's the biggest difference is a lot of coaches and trainers program things that they personally do, not what the client can actually perform, right? So that that's a huge, um, you know, fallacy that a lot of coaches have is that I, and I tell coaches and trainers this all the time. I've even told past students this, never program something for a client or athlete that you have never done or performed in some type of capacity. Yeah, because then the execution and the modeling may not be there, you know, and the appropriate modifications, you won't understand the modifications. Aaron, what do you find about some of the creative and effective micro workouts? Now, I know you were talking about your training that you do for your marathons. Um, and yeah, hit into I, I want to say one thing about what Dr. Mike just said, too. I, there was a former institution where I taught as an adjunct uh, is an online program. Um, and the, the institutions are relevant uh, to this. But something that's kind of interesting that he just mentioned was uh, a lot of times uh, trainers will prescribe exercise based on what they do or what they do in their workouts to someone who's not ready for that. And what was interesting is in this program, we had a number of students who were already working out in the field and um, they had to design programs for uh, case studies or somebody in their life or a, a client that they got. And oftentimes it came back as everything CrossFit, everything, uh, every, all this high intensity uh, workouts. And I, my feedback to them was always, this person is telling us that they are just beginning their exercise journey and you have them doing all these crazy exercises because you like to do them. And mm -hmm. I think it's a really important point to think about as you're working with clients is what exercises are you putting them through and are they appropriate for the level that they are at? I just wanted to add that on that I've seen that a lot in different students uh, who are working out in the field. I'm not, I'm not even sure what the question was that you just gave me, but no, that, but it was a great answer. So. <laughs> and Greg, you know, you own a studio, you're, you're, you hire instructors, you hire trainers, you manage your own clients. You know, what are you seeing that, you know, some of the creative and effective micro workouts that we can incorporate in? I mean, we've heard some of the negatives, but there's got to be, you know, some before and afters that you've experienced that are really yeah. Working. And well, it, I, this kind of goes to like that hit has just been misconstrued over the years. But I, I find, especially when they're working with me and they have the ability to be coached, we can select certain exercises, things like uh, med ball slams. That's a, a, a safe, non-impact versus something like a box jump or a burpee. Like I can't remember the last time I programmed a burpee. A lot of my clients are older. Um, so it doesn't take a lot to get their heart rate up, especially if they're untrained. So sometimes it's just some light intervals on a piece of cardio equipment or something like uh, med ball slams. Or there's a lot of other things you can do that without really, really pushing the boundaries of form and technique. But once people start getting into it and they start getting those baselines, 
if they're on like if they're on one of our fat loss programs, they're going to get their heart rate up just through resistance training. Like if you have the right amount of weight on a hex bar, you can get them into that 80 to 90 percent range that Dr. Mike was talking about. But it's that's that's once they've built that base. So what a lot of my clients, they're really looking for stuff like what can I do when I'm not going to the gym and I don't have an hour to come here? So a lot of that is like you can do a simple circuit of just like a lower body exercise and a push and a pull. Uh, and that could be different for everybody. For one person, it could be squats, just air squats. Uh, for an older adult, it could literally be sitting down and standing up on, onto a chair. You could do pushups on the floor. You could do elevated pushups. So again, it's, it's still finding where your client's at and giving them the prescribed exercises. So I tend to do kind of full body circuits. So that way the heart rate can stay up versus like long, almost too long intervals or having to wait till your legs rest before you do a leg exercise again. So it could be upper body, lower body, upper body, lower body, or lower body, upper body push, upper body pull, things like that. And that's just gonna be depending on what they have at home, what they have available to them. And what, what I like what you guys are all highlighting is maybe it has been a little bit overdone, a little bit, bastardized that it's been, you know, it, it's the right thing for everyone. And maybe it's not, and maybe the exercises aren't. I was very interested to read that um, uh, HIT training is now in the top 20. It barely made the top 20 in the American College of Sports Medicine trend report that they just uh, published. So it used to be in the top 10. It used to be, you know, one of the top five but it's dropped down a bit. Um, in the SCW, in our surveys, which we've reached almost uh, over 2,000 people, same with ACSM, 2,000 people, um, uh, HIT is number 13. SCW tends to be more group exercise, ACSM tends to be more personal training. And, you know, John, um, where do you, why do you think this is happening? Is it, is it this, overuse of hit or misuse of hit or poor program? Uh, I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if there's a certain percentage of um, over-reliance and overblown, or I think a lot of it has to do with poor programming and um, perhaps the confusion of a lot of um, ridiculous social media accounts. I like to constitute everything and categorize everything as like hit. Um, but I think there's some other things that have pushed that back in terms of, you know, th number 13 or number 20, um, likely like some of the wearable technologies that are moving up there in terms of assessments um, and all that. I mean, we know there's, you know, almost all the conventions that we go out, there's always companies that are doing, you know, fitness workouts and just, just tech, you know, in general. Um, and uh, really since um, all the COVID stuff, I mean, there's been like tonal and some of these other home workout stuff that has likely been a little bit more, um, you know, popular in terms of, you know, just the hit stuff, because with those types of equipment apparatuses, there, there, a lot of those hit stuff is, is already pre-programmed, right? So they're, they're getting in because it's pre-programmed. Obviously there's, you know, there's benefits and I mean, Tono's lost, you know, I mean, they lost a ton of money in the market share, but that's a, obviously a different conversation. But I, I think like just a combination of things. I mean, I, I and, and you know what, Sarah is, um, I think really coming out of the last few years, I mean, people, have really uh, uh, become more aware that they can get just as much, if not better, education, you know, online, these private seminars, these webinars, um, and, you know, entrepreneurial, you know, types of, um, you know, events and training events. 
um, in their local area or online and, and may not have to spend thousands of dollars to go to some type of you know national you know event they might used to go to this in other words there's more options now um versus you know five years ago um so there, there's a lot more information at our fingertips but there's also a lot more you know confusion as well so it's part of our job to uh, filter through the bs and just give it to straight talk yeah i think that's really interesting um there's so much online uh, we have started recording. We record about a hundred sessions at each one of our conferences, but you can't stream it from a convention center. You can't stream it from a hotel. You can't have six cameras going on at a time because the hotel and the convention centers don't have the bandwidth. You might have it at your home. They don't have it at the hotels and the convention centers. So we're recording. We have six high-end cameras and we're recording these sessions and then we're putting them online. People love that. People love getting it online. But I, you know, like you said, John, it's like we've got to caution people, look for those certified instructors, look for those educators. You guys all have master's degree and a couple of you have, have PhDs. You know, it, it we've got to be careful what we're what what you know what we're watching. Um now, what strategies can we use to help our clients structure their days to effectively fit in their workouts and also do their workouts safely, have enough recovery time? Aaron, what, what do you think about that or, or how would you respond to that? Well, and I think the understanding, first of all, that short and efficient workouts can be incredibly effective. Right. So I think it's been mentioned a couple of times here that, well, we get people who say, well, I only have 20 minutes. It's not worth it. I'm going to go do something else. Right. But it, I think it becomes an educational piece for them to say that, hey, 20 minutes is enough. OK. Right. Or 30 minutes is enough for you to get a good workout. And especially if you think about that from a consistency standpoint, hey, I, I only have 20 minutes a day or I only have 30 minutes a day but I know I can be consistent with those 20 to 30 minutes. And over the course of weeks, months, or the year, they can accomplish a lot by doing 20 to 30 minutes every single day or, or five days a week or whatever, whatever they'll commit to. So I think it's important to understand and educate clients of how important those 20 to 30 minutes can be um, and what they can actually accomplish in those 20 to 30 minutes. And if they're at the gym, for example, we haven't talked a whole lot about single set to failure, for example. Um, that's something that's crept up in, within research as well. Is that an approach that they end up taking, a single set exercise to failure? Um, and is that their workout? And how can they be efficient in that way? So, And then, too, with some of those intervals, if you're looking at, uh, if you're looking at cardiorespiratory endurance training, you know, if they're doing those intervals, I mean, it traditionally is 10, 10-ish minutes shorter in every workout at least. And you see a lot of the same benefits that you do in long, longer duration training for cardiorespiratory endurance training. So, I mean, I think it's just educating clients that 20 to 30 minutes might be enough. And um, here's how you can be efficient in that time. Yeah. And, and uh, John, I was going to ask you, I think you did a wonderful presentation on power training. And I think you even did something focusing on older adults. I think, Greg, you might have done that as well. Um, uh, that's a very interesting concept. Um, it, what do you think of that? What do you think of like what Aaron said with the with the 
you know, the I, single set. I, I fully agree with that. I, and, and it's like, obviously, the, the beginning of this talk was talking about hit, but I think what we're realizing is maybe we have moved away from hit, like going, going back to why hits kind of dropped in some of those standings. I, I love looking at those trend reports, but I think it says more about what has been bumped above it, including things like resistance training, personal training, individualized workout. I think 10 years ago, everyone was looking at those and that's when hit really came off. And for a while, I, for a while I had to pull people away from like single uh, like single muscle group training or split days because they didn't have six days a week in the gym. But now what I actually am finding is I, when I talk to my clients, I, I like mapping out their day. I like mapping out their week. I like mapping out their month. And I'm personally, I'm one of those people that the later in the day it gets, the less likely it is that I'm going to go to the gym. My, my battery gets low. So if, if I'm one of my clients, I'm going to say, we need to make sure that workout happens earlier in the morning. Maybe it is waking up a few minutes earlier, even if it's only 20 minutes. Uh, so whether it's a set to failure or just going back to, if you only get 20 minutes, if you can give me a single muscle group, if you can just hit glutes, hit a couple exercises, hit a couple sets, and that's your workout for that Monday, and you give me another 20 minutes on Tuesday, you can switch muscle groups. So I, I think HIT is it's changing. It is going away a little bit because there's there's other options out there and people are finding like you can get a great benefit. And I like I love hearing some of uh, Dr. Mike's talks about power training and strength training. And I think, again, resistance training is starting to bump back up on that list. And I think that's one of the reasons why HIT's dropping. Yeah, and so you're absolutely right. Strength training is 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 way up there. It's way up there for um, ACSM and for SDW. Um, for SDW, um, it's number three in in the focus. Um, and for ACSM, um, they have uh, let's see here. Da, 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 da. Uh, personal training is is number ten. But I'm not seeing strength training. Strength training must have dropped. Functional training was number 14. And that's about what I see. So ACSM even dropped a little bit in strength. But um, uh, John, what were you going to comment on the on the uh, on the training? Yeah, I mean, Greg's got you know good points. I mean, I think um the resistance training certainly has probably you know moved up and um, they hit on some good points there. I mean, because I think, you know, you still have a large percentage of people in the United States that are still baby boomers. Um, and they're one of the largest um, percent of individuals that not only need to do resistance training in terms of decrease of cardiovascular risk, decrease of risk of falls and fractures, um, you know, and the, the power output training as well. They certainly throw in a lot of highly effective eccentric training with that as well, stuff that I've, I've spoken about. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, when people talk about like power training, you know, it's like there's different camps, right? You have the, the camp of like the traditional strength and conditioning coaches, like in cleans and snatches and that type of stuff. Whereas like power stuff for like older adults could be things like med ball slams, right? Or, you know, higher intensity, uh, you know, um, battle ropes with just a little bit higher power output, you know, for each repetition. So it, it, power output is, is, is relative, you know, to the person. There's different ways to really define it. Um, so, but it's customization depending on what type of demographic, you know, that you're really working for. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, it's all effective, but it's just, it comes down to, you know, who are you training? Why are they training that way? Why do they care? And how is it going to make them better? Yeah. I would, I would, I would, yeah, I was going to say, I would go on top of that. I think again, with the, the shift in the fitness industry, I think there's a wider 
demographic than ever before of people working out and training. Like just, just in this facility, my youngest athlete is nine. My oldest is 93. And most of them actually don't need HIIT training. <laughs> so I, I think one, it, it was great to have the minimal effect of a dose, but now we're, we're seeing people are coming into the gym for much, much more than just burning calories. And, and that's, that's kind of where things are in the fitness industry at this point. Yeah. And uh, it's not about the burning of the calories. It's not about losing weight. It's about longevity. It's about vitality. It's about wellness. And that's really been a huge trend. Mental wellness has also made a huge surge. Um, and it's made both of the charts, you know, all over. And Greg, I was very interested when you talked about um, limiting the number of exercises people can do at home to make sure you're giving them that program for the full week when they're coming to your gym. And maybe they only see you once or twice a week. Um, do you know with physical therapists, I found this fascinating. They really only like to give between four to six exercises for a client to do, and they limit it to under 15 minutes because I was doing this physical, you know, this PT training and I'm, cause I had to rehab my knee and, um, and I, I was shocked. I said, you're giving me like four exercises. I can do this in 10 minutes. And she's looked at me. She's like, Sarah, we want you to do it. Right. People don't I've, do I've, it. Yeah. I've, I've worked in physical therapy clinics for almost uh, almost 15 years, my entire career. And, and that, and that's the truth. And that's a different, it's a different demographic. Like some of those people don't want to work out. Yeah. Um, so if you give them more than four things, they're not going to do it. Yeah. But it, it is and it isn't because here I am this fitness person and I'm going in and I'm getting four to five exercises. You know what I found? I was like, it was good. It was enough. Cause I could integrate it into what I was doing. And I think yeah. we see these older adults, at least I'm seeing a lot of them, um, where I, these individuals are, they're older, but they're, they're really concerned about staying healthy and, and not just living a long life, but living a fruitful life. And that's the active aging group. And you guys are talking about putting hit in active aging. Talk to me here. Um, um, like John, what would you do, uh, to modify a strength training workout or a hit workout for an older adult? I mean, you have to basically just kind of go to basics. I mean, Greg's right. I mean, most of these people that, you know, clients like they don't, you may incorporate or sprinkle some in here and there, but the vast majority of people don't really need full 45 minutes to an hour's worth of like true, like I'm talking about true hit train. And the other thing about hit training that I forgot to mention earlier in the first question is people think hit training is something that you can do like five or six days a week and make progress. It is not. It is high physically demanding. It's high skill. And you're looking at two, maybe three days a week max because it's such high demand on the nervous system, right? I mean, true HIIT training, it, it, it is like, it's going to be high physical demand to where you can't really sustain that type of level of intensity five to six days a week and think that you're going to continue to really make progress, right? Um, so I think if you're, when, you're, when you're working with older adults, so most people just can't do a body weight squat, right? So if they can't do a body weight squat, have them do an assisted like TRX squat. Or if they if they have trouble doing that, use a TRX like assistance squat, but put a box or some type of soft plyometric box underneath them. So then it becomes like a assisted box squat, for example. You know, instead of you know worrying about barbell deadlifts, do a kettlebell, you know, deadlift. It's easier, it's easier in terms of technique. It's less skill demanding, it's less physical demanding. So basically what you're doing is that you need to think in terms of 
not only modifications of exercises, but what exercises or say variations can you do and, and incorporate that are less skill, less technically demanding and less physically demanding, but yet they can still get an effective dose from that. And you essentially just take those, the say the traditional lifts and break them into little pieces and variations and have them do what they're able to really do. I mean, it, it, it's an endless number of possibilities, right? But um, you pro you can't program person A for person B. I mean, there has to be enough individualization to where um, there, there's progressive overload continuously yeah. over time. And I also like how you mentioned utilizing different equipment. And it's, yes, because it's lighter, but it's also easier to hold because as an older adult, the the mobility and the strength in the hands and the the extremities are are weaker. Yet we've got to work the back, we've got to work the chest, we've got to work the entire core. Um, but if we are limited by the strength of our hands or the flexibility and range of motion in our shoulder girdle, that's that's a that's a hard call. Um, Aaron, do you have any special uh, recommendations for older adults, not just strength, you know, the strength training, but also the hip training and, and, and the cardiovascular training? I think one of the things that I really tried to focus on, you know, I worked with older adults in the gym space. Our average age was about 87 in the gym uh, for about 13 years prior to being in education. And I think one of the things that I quickly transitioned from and I'm really glad that we kind of went down this route of power training for older adults. It, it's definitely a, a passion of mine. When we start to think about, um, and, and, and Greg and Mike have both said wonderful things already about this, but just kind of when we think about how do we add on, I quickly realized how, um, how important the power or I'll even say plyometric type training was for older adults when it came to functionality for them. And I think that when we, when we think about older adults and we think about, um, the fact that um, power or skeletal muscle power is one of the things that declines first and declines fastest in older adults. I mean, it, it, I look at it as our duty in the fitness industry then to say, how can we at least help those older adults potentially hold that off or even flip that around to the other side? And that ultimately becomes about functionality for those older adults, right? So how can we think of the things they're doing every day? in their activities of daily living, and that might be a chair stand, right? How can we make, and, and Dr. Mike mentioned the, the kind of some of those TRX squatting or, or squatting onto a chair, how can we mimic those activities of daily living for older adults in the gym space and utilize the same movement patterns that they utilize for activities of daily living and then have them move fast, if you will. And when we think about power, when we think about skeletal muscle power, strength in the in the concept of time or speed of that movement right so how can we take some of those same movement patterns and put them into a power or a or a speed strength type type movement and so i i really tried to focus on that and i i quickly figured out that that's what the clients needed more than just sitting down putting a two pound weight on their foot and kicking it out and back and out and back like we see in so many classes for older adults and started to say, how can I make my older adults more functional? And that was through power training, right? So if we were on a machine, uh, that how could they move that weight fast? If they were able to use their body weight, how can we put that into a plyometric setting and get some of those same plyometric responses? Um, I do a lot of training uh, uh, with uh, pickleball. 
And it's that, and, and I think HIT training really works very well because you feel like you're standing there and waiting and then you, boom, you've got to act, you know, and you're standing there and you're waiting and then boom, you've got to act. So I, I hear you on that, Aaron. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I think that that type of program, like a HIT type of program would also work really well in that type of setting. Um, Greg, I'm going to ask you, what are some common challenges and excuses that you hear from your clients um, when attempting this limited time? And how can we address this? Now, we didn't say this in the, uh, we're going to be talking about this next month, I think, adhering to your resolutions. But we have to look at this. Now, these people make resolutions. Do you know that um, according to Ursa, 11% of the mem the entire membership base of a health club joins in January, which is huge, okay? But then 80% of those people quit within the next month. Like, how do we retain these people? Um, is it gonna do it? I, I, you know, so what are the common challenges and how do we face them? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously the biggest common, one of the biggest common challenges is the whole purpose of this talk is everyone said, I don't have enough time. Uh, whether whether it's it's kids, work, uh, several other things. And, and I mean, a lot of times it's just like, it's going to take 30 minutes to get to the gym or it's going to take 20 minutes to to do this. So part of that is taking away that, like what, what can we do first thing in the morning without leaving the house? Um, but also again, that's why I like to break down their day. Because a lot of time, the reality is people have more time than they think. Um, 24 hours is a long time. Eight hours, assuming they're getting eight hours of sleep, which most people don't, you still get 16 hours a day. Assuming you're working long days like me and like say you're working 10 to 12 hours, you still have time. So part of it is finding where that time is or blocking it. Like if you have 10 minutes here and 10 minutes here, can you get that 20 minute workout in like right after work before you get home? Because uh, if you take that extra, like that extra time to go home, to go get your stuff, to go get your equipment, you're just less likely to go to the gym. So I, a lot of it is just like just time blocking your day, figuring out what what they need, where they need it, and what's the best opportunity to take advantage of that 20 minutes, even if it's only 20 minutes. And I saw you nodding your head, uh, John. Uh, uh, <laughs> contribute, please. Yeah, I mean, that. Yeah, he, well, Greg's absolutely right. I mean, most people think they don't really have time, but the reality is they do have time. They're just not making the time or prioritizing it in, in specific time blocks. You know, like it, the saying goes, like, if it's not on your calendar, like it's probably not going to happen. I mean, you could take a look at someone's calendar um, and they're trying to get their life together, whether it's through training or, you know, making more money or being more organized. Like it, it says a lot about you, how structured your day is and what your calendar really looks like. Right. Um, I'll show you somebody who's really successful and, and makes money and does great. And I can see their calendar. There's a there's a very large um, high quality correlation, you know, with that as well. So yeah, I mean, people think you have to be in the gym six days a week and train for like two or three hours. That, that's not the case at all. I don't even do that, right? Um, I mean, the most the most I do is like five, and one of those is like a you know cardio conditioning day, right? So I mean, I train four days a week, um, and sometimes I, I I even do it like when I travel, just so I can stay on track and and be consistent and get something in. So. You know, but Greg's right. When people say they don't have time, they actually do have time. It, they're just not prioritizing it and organizing it in a way to create their own personal system so that they can be and hold themselves accountable. Yeah, they say if if uh, if you're not setting a plan, you're planning to fail. So it, it's it's pretty interesting. I think I heard that in a recent movie. Who knows? 
Um, and then how can we ensure that time optimized workouts remain safe and effective, even with these shorter durations? Like Greg, how do we, uh, how do we make sure that these workouts are safe and effective? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of feel like that's, that's kind of been kind of the theme of today. It's, it's finding the right exercise for the person in uh, like going back to whether they're doing it or not. It's making sure they understand their goal. Um, a couple of quick things that have, have kind of been glanced over. Like if you're not actually sitting down and talking to your client, like assess them, like get, get a consultation, a understand why they're there. Uh, B as we're talking about aging adults, you now have to think about medications. <laughs> so if you have people on medications, things like beta blockers, they can't do in high intensity. So when it, when it comes down to what people need to do, it, it is. And I know this is a horrible answer in the fitness industry, but it depends. It really just depends on the client, but make sure you're sitting down with that client, making sure they understand why they're doing something. And with my clients that go home, I want, I want to see them in the gym doing something. If they're doing an advanced lift, I want to see them do it. I want to know they know how to do it. And I want to know that I can trust them to do it on their own before I give it to them at home. I'm not going to go ask them to buy uh, all this equipment that I have in here and expect them to do these full body workouts. So it's like finding what they're willing to do with what they have available and, and programming from there. And Aaron, I saw you also nodding your head um, in agreement. And you have this expertise with older adults. Um, uh, how can we make sure that these things are safe and effective? I think, it's a per I think especially as we talk about older adults, uh, as I think about those in their 50s or 60s and above, um, you know, I think it is the idea of how do we safely progress them through the idea of, you know, do they have the basic movement pattern needed for this exercise before they're able to do it? Um, if they don't have that movement pattern, how can we train that movement pattern? Or, you know, is machine training more appropriate for them from a safety standpoint? Uh, but I, I just think it's understanding, especially with older adults, you know, where, where they are and, you know, to Greg's point, you know, what is their goal and where do they want to get to? But most importantly with older adults is can they safely go through that movement pattern to do that exercise? Because as soon as you add external resistance to that exercise, it becomes much more unsafe if their movement pattern isn't, um, isn't proper for that movement. So, you know, I, I think, a lot of times people say, well, I don't want to do body weight. I, I want weights. I want to feel like I'm doing something. But they need those movement patterns first. And, you know, ultimately that becomes the first step to any safety factor. Right. And so building that. Um, uh, John, any contributions on that? Yeah, I mean, he's got he's got a good point. I mean, I even when I've done a lot of hands-on stuff, depending on what it is, particularly if it's like overhead press work or deadlift or, or whatever it is, everything looks good. Like if it's like body weight or a dowel rod or an empty barbell, you know, but once you start putting weight on there and as you become stronger, your technique often does and can change, right. Depending on your own specific like biomechanics and, and, and your leverages. Um, you, you, it's less of that way when you're dealing with, with machines, cause you're at a fixed, you know, position. Um, but nowadays you have, um, you know, um, equipment companies like Atlantis, especially prime, you know, to where you can kind of overload, um, the resistance profile within the given range of motion. So it could be, 
um, heavier at the beginning, modest at the mid range and easiest, you know, toward the end range and vice versa. There's different combinations. But yeah, I mean, when you start putting on resistance, I mean, things change very quickly. Right. So this is why you have to maintain, you know, effective movement patterns. But, you know, if you the coach and trainer, if you don't know all the ins and outs and biomechanics of, of, of lifting, like you're going to have a hard time coaching your clients um, on that stuff, which is and I've said this many times before. If, if, if all you know, your experience is like, you know, bodybuilding and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's still pretty popular, but if all you know is that, then that's all that you're going to be able to really program. So if your experiences, um, you know, and even exposures are limited, then it's going to limit your ability to program for a wide variety of demographics and, and different types of clients, um, even if they have, you know, similar goals. So those are some things that people need to watch out for. Well, this has been really great. And I really, I, I thank you, Dr. Jonathan Mike, Greg Johnson, Dr. Aaron. And again, I can't do the last name, but um, you guys have been wonderful. This is really terrific. Um, I'm quickly just gonna uh, share my screen here so that um, uh, you guys can see. We have our DC mania coming up. We have over 30 different sessions on personal training alone, which is kind of exciting. Um, DC Mania is going to be February 23rd through 25th. And we have our California Mania convention coming up March. Oh my gosh, I'm doing the wrong dates. Uh, Carter, what is it? Is it the 24th through 26th? Um, and we're, we have all these wonderful sponsors with us at the conference. So we look forward to seeing you guys at one of the upcoming Mania conventions. Please take a look. We've got specials going on where you can save $100 off the conference. So please check your emails. And we look forward to seeing you in 2024 at an upcoming conference. And again, Aaron, Greg, and John, you guys are the best. Thank you. Everybody have a great night. And thank you, Carter, for running this wonderful webinar. Take care, guys.